Most, my most famous guest, <laughs> my famous guest carrying over from podcasting softly was one of the most famous interviews I did. I would go through his credit list, but because I did that last time and it started off with a bit of a disaster, I'll say he's the director of Shoot 'em Up. He's the irrepressible Michael Davis. Michael. I can't believe that I can't be the most famous person. I, I, I say I succeeded to the middle. I'm not a super success. I succeeded to the middle. And that's okay. That's the truth. And I at least I got to make some stuff. But I'm not like gigantic. Michael, I do have to start with an apology. After the success of our interview, uh, a group got in touch with me because they were putting out a certain DVD and they might have got in touch with you because I got Oh, yeah. I, I, was it the Double Dragon one or what was it? That's right, the double dragon one. Well, that was fun. I ended up getting Peter Gould, my writing partner, who, you know, Peter Gould was one of the writings, writers on Breaking Bad and one of the creators of Better Call Saul. He, he went on and he's a monster and super talented creator and a great friend of mine. Um, uh, and uh, we enjoyed doing that. We were, we were floored because for years we didn't think there was a fan base for Double Dragon. And then we find out that it's actually beloved. So... Yeah, there you go. So thank you, actually. Because they, they got in touch with me and they said, oh, how did you get in touch with Michael Davis? We've been, like, searching for Sugarman. How do we get him? And um, and they said, did he set himself on fire? Uh, no, 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 he's, he's all right. And so uh, I got in touch with – I said, well, give me your information. If Michael wants to get in touch with you, he obviously will because I said <laughs> the way he spoke about Double Dragon, I don't know whether it was fondness or – or uh, aghast. Well, I'm, I was happy. I'm happy now. I'm a little bit more careful about what I say about it because we thought that the, we were unhappy without, you know, we didn't think the movie was that good. But mm. since everybody, there's a fan base for it now, I don't trash it. But at the time, it was our first project and there were just a lot of creative choices that left us scratching our heads. So, um, but we were much more upbeat and funny about it on, on the actual DVD. So, yeah. anyway, but it wasn't a disaster. I, I don't regret, you know, I'm I'm an honest guy. I, I get tired of everybody that does an interview kind of always does the canned responses. It's kind of in like, what was that Kevin Costner baseball movie where he has the picture, what's his name, um, give all the canned answers. Uh, what was it, Bull, Bull Durham? Durham. For love of the game, the uh... yeah, no, Bull Durham. Oh, uh, Bull Durham, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and I, I get you know, even after like you must say it after a football match or whatever, they talk to the player, and it's all the same canned answers. Oh, they were a great team, and they gave us a real, you know, uh, a hard game, but luckily we pulled through. It was a team effort. Who wants to hear that? I think it's better to have specific things, and as long as you're not libeling anybody. Or making somebody super bad. Sure. Well, those electronic press kits do get boring after a while, especially if you watch the old ones, because every director they worked with was a genius and a perfectionist. Oh, yeah. No, they still do that. They still do that. <laughs> They're still yeah, – everyone's – everyone. Oh, he's such a perfectionist and a genius. And a I'd perfectionist is code for asshole. <laughs> right? Well, Sidney Pollock said it 
of of Stanley Kubrick, he said, you know, a perfectionist in Hollywood is kind of a euphemism for a pain in the ass. Okay, there you but, go. There but, you go. Absolutely. But, but he said uh, that Kubrick was the first, as far as he was concerned, the only true perfectionist who really saw it through to like, you know. <laughs> To, to well, me. yeah. Again, I'll I'll be honest. I'm not a Kubrick fan at all. I think they're they're really boring, right? Um, and I, you know, like that movie he calls Eyes Wide Shut, right? It's supposed to be super sexy. My right. type for it is thighs wide shut, because there were no wide thighs in that movie. There wasn't much fucking going on in that. He is a fucking bore. I, oops, I didn't say that. I did put out because you were talking about the CGI thing. He did that movie. What is it? The uh, the killing, right? Yes. The and it um, and I I did the CGI robot that has a kind of clown mask that the killer wore. And yes. so I should say that I really like that movie of his hit. But you know, Barry Lyndon. Oh, I'm going to actually light it with real candles to make it feel like it was really the period. Well, it's a movie, right? And I don't, I don't want to read about how long it took you to light with all the candles. So what? Just make it look good, you know. And I mean, you know, and you got when when Star, I known about two thousand and one, and then when Star Wars came out, I'm like, well, this is what Kubrick should have done. This is what everybody wanted to see with that technology and models, and you do it slow and how. And, I'm sorry, you can have all yell at me if people are listening. They can hate me, but his stuff is freaking boring. I'm sorry. Eyes wide shut, man. But you like him. You're holding back. You like him, right? I do. Um, you do or you douche? Did you say? No, I do. I do. Okay, what? Is, give me an example of a great Kubrick movie that you love. Paths of Glory. Which one? Paths of Glory. I don't even know which one. That's Kubrick? I thought that was... Um, uh, that, what is Paths of Glory? It's about the, the French officer, uh, Kurt Douglas. and. Um, okay, I can't... Maybe his early movies where he had the Cloud Tower Studio, maybe that is good. I haven't seen yeah. that one, so I yeah. can't comment on it. But anything, um, you know, at 1975 and on... Yeah. I, I I do I do admit that that I I believe there was a point that he did disappear up his own, you know. Yes, um, there you go. Intellect, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I, I I do believe like like some filmmakers when they only hear yes, um, it's not always the best answer. Um, well, you know, they, I also think that there's a trap that I've heard that after somebody wins an Academy Award, hmm. they feel like everybody expects them to do that kind of film for the rest of their life. Sure. And their careers are kind of um, uh, um, stagnate after that because they can't go back and do what they did that was fun. I mean, my biggest one is, and it might not be because of the Academy Award, but everybody criticized Steven Spielberg. Right, is always got a Peter Pan complex. His he does too many funny, crazy things with the camera. It takes me out of the story. Now he shoots his movie like his, you know, idol, you know, Sidney Pollack, and they don't have the signature genius. He's chewed greens with a camera, and he won't make movies that are fun, escape it's fun anymore. Mm -hmm. And I may, and I think the critics ruined him by making him sort of I'm so tired of being criticized for being who I am. 
I'm going to be, I'm going to be a really classy middle of the road director, you know, and I'm never going to do, um, you know, ET or create an Indiana Jones again, because they're going to criticize me for that. Hmm. Hmm. You know, it wasn't a good movie he made a lot of strategic mistakes in pan, but the idea of the Peter Pan hook, um, the idea of it, I really wanted to see that movie. I thought it could have been great. I don't know what happened there, but I still, from an idea standpoint, I was like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see this movie. Hmm. Yeah. But there you go. Yeah. But anyway, in, in the um, in the six years we haven't seen each other, uh, you've been very busy. And uh, when, when they say idle hands of the devil's workshop, the devil isn't going to get his hands on you because it doesn't seem like your hands have been idle. You've been very busy animating up a storm. You're now, you've gone from armed and dangerous to shoot up to animated and dangerous. Well, you know, I, I, you're referring to, I, after shoot em up, I ended up writing, directing and hand animating all by myself, a animated feature called Nick's. And uh, it's uh, an idea I came up with with a, a, a friend of mine, financer, uh, financed the movie. And it's this alternative history of Richard Nixon solving the Kennedy assassination. And, um, and number one, it was the greatest auteur experience of my life because uh, talking about everybody saying yes, so I had nobody to say no. I only had one person, my financer, who was really supportive. So I got to do whatever I wanted, but also if, Unlike a live action shoot where you're always cutting shots from your shot list, your your vision every day is always getting compromised because you can't accomplish it in the time that you're given. If I ever needed a new shot or whatever, I would just do it myself. And um, I also have to say it was a really great, it's really funny. Um, you can, I have a distributor, well, I'm not a distributor, I have a sales agent uh, uh, looking for the right home for it. But I did go to the a world's uh, most prestigious animation festival, Amacy, um, and showed it there, got a great response. Um, and it's really funny and really amazing. And uh, the thing that was crazy for me is, although it was an idea, my partner wanted to do something that was all the crazy things behind the scenes in the White House, and we figured we must do Nixon and, and Kennedy, is I used to cut the grass for the wife of one of the doctors that did Kennedy's autopsy. And every day I used to cut the grass, I used to feel a little bit sad thinking about her, well, her husband, the doctor, and then thinking about the shot Kennedy. It was, um, and it was really weird um, uh, when Watergate started happening, there was this guy, William Ruckel's house, who uh, Nixon had created the Environmental Protection Agency. Um, and he lived a block away. I went to school with his daughters and he resigned and he lived a block away. So I was living in this sort of upper middle class outside of Washington, D.C. suburbs. And but I kind of felt like I was one or two people removed from history. So while I was making this movie it kind of reminded me of everything, the 1970s. And, you know, there's a bit where, um, you know, you know, they have the movie theater in the White House. And I have Nixon watching Murder on the Orient Express with Sean Connery. Oh, and the funny thing was, is that, so anyway, there's a scene where he's, he's watching the movie in, in the White House, and I animated a Sean Connery, right? Because now yeah. I have Sean Connery, my favorite Bond I got to direct in a movie, sort of. He's in he's in Next because he's in Murder in the Orient Express, and I made sure I got, got like a little close-up on him so you could see it. 
I was very excited. Sean Connery's in my movie now. That's awesome. So, um, but it's it's quite uh, to me. It's a, a really a great accomplishment. I grew up wanting to be an animator, right. and then my dad, when I applied to art school and, and animation school, he said, "You know, I don't know if you want to sit behind a desk. Oh, that sounds really boring. Go and be, go to art school, and if you still want to be an animator, go there for grad school." Mm-hmm. And the one thing I do have to say is the route I took. I went was an illustrator at Parsons School of Design. Then I went to USC Film School. And then I became a storyboard artist and a screenwriter. But I've seen a lot of animators or animators that have done big feature uh, studio animated films. They can only write in that milieu of the family film. They don't have ideas. uh, And even if they have ideas that are PG, PG PG-13 or R, they've never really learned about screenwriting. And so I kind of feel lucky that I, I've always loved animation, but I'm glad that I'm coming back to it later because I got to, you know, hone my writing chops and I'm not stuck in that sort of saccharine Disney, Pixar, you know, those are the only stories I can tell. And so, um, so, and so doing Nick's was sort of like a combination of everything. I mean, and stop me, I, I was on my friend Rob Burnett's observation show Hmm. And uh, there were a couple of comments that came up and goes, well, your, your, your guests talk too much. I want to hear Rob Burnett. I don't want to hear Michael Davis talk as much. So now I'm like, but like what? Like at my house, my kids, my wife do all the talking. I just, I'm a, like a non-person. I just listen. So when I'm on these things, I talk too much. But anyway, now I can, uh, oh, so in sixth grade, I was, they had, they wanted to teach us about the American government system and the electoral system. And so they had this mock election and I got to play John F. Kennedy running against Richard Nixon. And uh-huh. then everybody, um, and it was the fifth and sixth grade classes, you got to vote, right? right? And I ended up losing to Nixon, partially because he was a sixth grader and more popular, right? But it all reminded me of the Kennedy-Nixon that I had played in, in sixth grade. You know, I was, I was actually, a, they had this game called Landslide where, um, like, I... Do you remember that guy, Danny Bonaducci in the Partridge family? Remember? Right. He was the big guy that knew about the stocks or whatever. He's very precocious. Right. When I was in sixth grade, I was really into American history and politics. And part of it was is that I got this game landslide that you have to get enough electoral votes to become president, right? And I actually liked staying up watching the Republican National Convention I like staying up watching the Democratic convention. And it was, I was like, I like the idea of this live television, anything could happen, even though it really was scripted. Um, and I was like this political junkie just because I thought it was really interesting. And my dad was, you know, had, was a business owner and he was voting for Nixon. And so I didn't even really know, but I ended up campaigning for Nixon against McGovern, right? I handed out pamphlets, you know, or Nixon, right next to the person that I made fun of because McGovern was getting slaughtered, right? But now, in retrospect, I, you know, I would have been a McGovern person, but at the time, I didn't know. I just thought Nixon, you know, was going to be the winner. And I was handing out pamphlets for the winner. Anyway, so Nixon was, it took my love of animation, my love of politics. I had played Kennedy. I lived near Kennedy's uh, doctors. Um, I lived in a political area, Washington, D.C. And so even though it's sort of this, um, you know, uh, altered history, it really kind of was close and very personal. And I actually think when you people see the movie, when it comes out, 
I think my solution of who really killed Kennedy is probably the closest that anybody's ever going to come. And although the story Nixon kind of acts as a metaphorical um, detective, it's basically at the heart of it. It's a detective story. It's a detective. You know, we were talking earlier about genres and story structure. It's structured like a mystery, right? You're going through all the suspects and meeting everybody. Um, uh, but 95% of what I put in there, I believe is true because I, I found that it was documented in at least three sources. If it wasn't, uh, if, it, if it didn't happen, if, if someone didn't describe it in, you know, um, three different places, I didn't put it in. And the stuff I found was just unbelievable. I mean, the funniest thing, one of the funniest thing I, I did was, so every, you know, they say, oh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald killed, you know, Kennedy, right? Well, you know, he owned this gun, right? A handgun. Well, if he was going to go and kill Kennedy and knew that he was going to go on the run and flee, why wouldn't he bring the gun with him that day to the book depository when he was going to do the deed? Instead, he had to go home because he knew that something was up, that the contact he was supposed to meet or whatever, if he was, was um, uh, going to do it, he just knew that he was getting set up, um, was going to be framed. And so he goes back to his house. So he's on the lamb and he's hailing a cat taxi. He needs to get, oh, get away from the book depository. <clears throat> and there's a little old lady flagging a cab too, right? He lets her, he's so courteous, he lets her have the cab before he gets a cab, even though his life is in danger. Who, who, what guilty person on the run is going to let a little old lady take the cab ahead of him? Exactly. Not so, you know. And why would if he was going to be uh, kill Kennedy? Why wouldn't he have brought his handgun with him to work so hmm. he wouldn't have to go back home where everybody was? And that's where everybody was going to look for him, right? So it's just really weird. Um, the other thing, you know, in America, um, you know, the, at that time, the most famous newscaster was Walter Cronkite. Are you familiar with him? I am. Okay. He's the most venerable, trusted. And in history, they say that Oswald shot Kennedy with an Italian rifle, a Manlicher Carcano. Mm -hmm. But the first rifle that the police found was a German Mauser. Mm -hmm. And... And the reason why it, everybody knows this is that somehow that got communicated to Walter Cronkite. And on the air, you can go on YouTube and see Walter Cronkite says he was shot with a German Mauser. And then, you know, much later on, they end up, uh, you know, saying it was the Italian Carcano because they knew Oswald owned one. So they wanted to set him up. Well, how did the police find a Mauser, communicate it to the press, up to the point that Walter Cronkite, and you can go on to YouTube, they third found a third rifle on the roof, right? Oh, but he's the lone gunman. There's so many crazy things that if you really look at it, right? Um, but, you know, there's so many things. This is not really part of the conspiracy, but it's like the weird one degree of separation. So in when Oswald came back from the Soviet Union after defecting, he lived in Dallas. And but he had a basically a CIA handler, a name, this guy named George DeMornschelt. And his family had come from uh, Russian families that got kicked out, you know, you know, when Lenin came in, he comes from that lineage. Um, but he ended up befriending Oswald, but he was basically kind of keeping an eye on him. Okay. Now but when you when you look back, 
George de Mornschelt and his family um, was friends with Jacqueline Kennedy's family when she was a little girl. He used to go over the, to her house and have her, you know, you know, gamble her on his knee. And it's just, and it's, it has nothing to do. But he, the, the fact that there's this weird connection that this guy de Mornschelt knew Jackie Kennedy way back, right? It's unbelievable. All these crazy stories. Yeah. You know, so. So I and my but my when I was telling it, obviously Albert Stone has done the great movie. But what I put into the movie was what I thought were the most funny, weird, ironic things that I found the most entertaining. My my goal was not I didn't when I started researching it, I didn't come in thinking about um my why my axe to grind or what I thought really happened. I just read everything about it. And I took down, because I just like funny, crazy, weird, eccentric things, and wrote all of those things down. Like, you know, the, the, the thing, you, you, you ever, some people know this, that LBJ used to take staff meetings while he was sitting on the toilet crapping, right? And everybody had to come and hang out, you know. And so I did scenes like that where LBJ is saying, I'm going to I'm gonna destroy Ho Chi Minh, and he's sitting on the toilet, you know, because that's what happened, and it's funny, Right? You know, uh, you know, Kennedy, you know, had this terrible back, right? And stop me because we're talking, we're supposed to be about talking animation or whatever, but I just want to give people the idea that it is, you know, even though it's about the JFK assassination and it's, you know, Nixon, it's really funny in some ways. But uh, JFK wore this corset because his back to help support his back. Okay. And actually, people uh, theorize that's why he didn't duck or, or couldn't bend down after uh -huh. the first shot. Because it kept him erect, he couldn't bend, right? Because he's wearing his corset. But right. early in the in the movie, I have this scene because he was this big womanizer, and he's mm -hmm. with this woman, and they're kissing, and I get into the close up, and the woman says, "Let's get this, you know, corset off, right?" And you think that she's going to be taking off her corset, and you bang out why, and it's uh, Kennedy wearing his corset. He goes, "Oh, I forgot to take it off before I date." It's funny, you know. It's funny, you know. So, so I got to animate this, and I, you know, when I was a kid, I liked looking at these political cartoons. I, in the Washington Post, there was this guy named Herb Block. He was a, you know, big famous political cartoonist. And I always, at one point, my parents thought, oh, you might want to become a political cartoonist, you know, when before I wanted to become an animator. And so, um, but I, and again, we can we can talk more about Nick's, but that led me to um, starting to experiment with CGI. And I'm because I had such an amazing, fun time making Nick being the one man filmmaker. And right. you know, Hollywood is so hard, it's always a struggle to you know trying to get your, your movies made. Sure. When I did Nick, I got this feeling of empowerment that nobody can stop me from making a movie that I want to make. Now, granted, it's not gonna get the release, it's not gonna get the scale, not gonna get the stars, it's not gonna, you know, but I don't care if I make any money as long as I can pay my bills and my, my mortgage. I just want to make movies. And so it empowered me. So, But now I've taught myself in the production value that I can achieve with CGI. It's so much harder than the hand-drawn stuff sure. that now I'm planning on doing a CGI animated feature. And, you know, I've never been much on social media that much, but now I've done it because I slowly want to get people interested in what I'm doing. I can't announce what the project is because my plan is i've actually got a bunch of these um 
social influencers, YouTubers that want to support me. Right. And I feel like I'm going to give them the ammunition to make the announcement because they're supporting me. But it's going to be something fun. It's going to be it's going to be CGI oriented. It's going to be a fun Michael Davis movie. And the other thing that I like about this is that the software has gotten so user friendly right. that if I can figure out how to make a movie all by myself, hopefully it'll be it inspire other indie independent filmmakers that say, okay. You know, I thought about doing an indie feature with my iPhone, but all I can do is get my parents' house and I don't have a story. And I like to make big movies with explosions or whatever. People can make really cool animated CGI movies, um, you know, just by themselves or with a group of people, you know? Yeah, um, and so, so I've started posting some of my stuff and that's how you checked in with me saying, hey, Michael, what up? Yeah, yeah. No, so so definitely, as as we were saying before we uh, we started the show. So wh whereabouts are, are all the places people can uh, can get involved in this and and check it out once it uh, once it. Oh uh, yeah, we talked about this. Well, again, I'm not the best, but I am now on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. On on Twitter slash X, and maybe you'll post it later. But I did write it down here. Um, where is my? Uh, uh, where, yeah, where is my social media address, whatever? Hold on. They came unprepared. There it is. All right. So on TikTok, I'm at I'm at the at sign MP Davis 007, as you can tell, because I like Sean Connery. And my Twitter account again is at MP Davis 007. And my Instagram is MP Davis Agent 007. And then LinkedIn and Facebook, just do a search Michael Davis filmmaker, um, and you'll be able to find me. But I'm gonna, I'm trying. I, I, I get really busy, but I try to post at least once a week of sort of the uh, the work that I do. Right. Um, and you know, you can see it's definitely in the science fiction range. I've showed some of the robots that I'm doing. Um, I also have a friend of mine uh, that wants to take one of his indie movies and turn it into an animated movie. So he's paying me a side job to do sort of a, a trailer uh, 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 first 10 minutes of the movie. So it pays the bills. Um, but like, like um, this weekend, and again, you, people might not be movie geeks, but if you're movie geeks, you should check out this thing called move.ai. I took four iPhones, but you only need a minimum of two or a maximum of six and put them on tripods. And they filmed me simultaneously, and the mocap is as good as Avatar. I can turn around 360 because the cameras see me from every direction, and I can apply it to any character, and it's just amazing. I mean, and that's what I'm saying is I don't people could say I don't know how to animate, right? Well, you, you could probably know how to clean up a shot in which maybe the the mocap wasn't perfect, but the mocap's about 90% there. If you can get somebody to act the performance in front of four iPhones, you're almost there putting it in, creating a CGI character. It's amazing. You don't need, you know, so you don't need to go into a big studio or whatever. Right. Um, and, you know, I've been telling people, you know, most people that are doing these things use Blender because it's a free and there's so many tutorials and they're upgrading it. And I think Blender's great. But I started with this stuff. It's a little bit under unknown, but it's called iClone 8. 
but it's really amazing. You can actually, they have a, a thing where you can take your iPhone and it will do facial motion capture. You don't even need to put dots on your face and you can hook up multiple iPhones with multiple actors and you can multiply, uh, and multiple actors get their facial performance right into the computer and apply it to iPhone or export to Unreal Engine uh, or Maya or Blender or whatever. But the thing is, is that the software is so user-friendly because I'm an idiot. I don't, it's hard. I mean, there's so like Maya, you you can never be an expert in Maya because there's everybody's either a generalist or I'm an effects person or a character. There's so many buttons, but with iPhone, and they also have this great thing I'm going to call the headshot. You take a photograph of somebody like, let's say, Sean Connery, which I did, and you press a button and it will make the face of Sean Connery about 95% there. And it's entirely rigged with all the facial blends that you could, are ready to do lip sync with your, your character, right? Um, and, and, and you're not even a modeler. You're not even like... And then, but if you want to make your own things, you have all these dials. I want to make his butt fatter. I want to make him thinner. I want his eyes lower. I want the eyes bigger. I want the eyes Asian. I want the eyes angled like this. I want the nose like this. I want his skin to be ruddy. I want, and all they, at the end of the day, I can sculpt any style of character as good, well, actually way better. They do them too cartoony and roundy at Pixar and Disney, but I could do that. But I can create any type of character style with all, they're called morphs, right? If you can imagine, right? You want a double chin, you do the thing and it kind of, you know, inflates the thing or you want them to be really thin, it sucks, right? I can make these cool characters. And um, and then, you know, and I'm good enough of an animator that I can take the mocap and make it more exaggerated. Or if it's a stunt where somebody jumps and falls and rolls and I'm not gonna have a stunt man do it, I'll just hand animate it or key, key frame animate it. And so to me, as a kid, if I were in sixth grade right now, I would be working 20 hours a day using this software. To me, it's like magic. It's what I was destined to be playing around with because I always loved animation. Um, you know, uh, my favorite gift that my dad got me, uh, people don't might not remember, they had these Fisher Price um, and, uh, movie viewers. And you actually had these cartridges that had an eight millimeter film in there. Do you remember this Fisher Price? And you could buy. And I got this thing, uh, Mickey Mouse, called Lonesome Ghosts. And Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Goofy were like Ghostbusters before Ghostbusters ever came out. And I could hand crank it, right? And I could go frame by frame analyzing, you know, how animation worked. And whenever there was animation on the Wonderful World of Disney, I would watch it. So, mm -hmm. um, so I kind of feel like I've gone full circle. Um, mm -hmm. But I... I, I'm glad I went full circle because I think that if I was just a pure animator, I might not be as interesting as a storyteller. Yes. Now, uh, you definitely, um, a long time ago when I was uh, auditioning to be an actor, I did a really. I was going to say, I love the way you look. I love your voice. You should, they should have picked you. They should make you an actor. You're awesome. Oh, I used, oh, I, I used to be better looking, but. Um... <laughs> but uh yeah way back when uh what your story just reminded me of way back when when i was auditioning um to be an actor the director took me aside and he said son you're really talented you're really talented mate but you don't have any experience and of course i was straight out of high school and all that sort of thing and uh i know i know now what he meant then all right i didn't have 
you know, I was I was a very good performer, but I didn't have any, like you say, you know, you you started off wanting to be something, and you 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 know, life interrupts, and you find your way all the way around. Like I was saying to you before we uh, started the show about you know, not being able to sell a script. And then you said, well, why don't you turn them into books? And so I went away for 10 years and did that. And eventually, as life finds a way, as Jeff Goldblum once put it in, in, in Jurassic Park, life finds a way, um, you find your way back to where you're supposed to be. So I'm writing movies again and, and doing all this uh, sort of thing. So and like I said, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we were supposed oh. to be. How often do you do your show, do your podcast? Oh, you know, whenever whenever people have time, you know, I don't. Okay, be quick, because I want, can I tell you my story? Maybe this will inspire you or whatever. Sure. I have a friend, you know, this guy, Rob Burnett. He yes. Direct, he, did, he did this movie, Free Enterprise, that he wrote and directed, and it's about these Star Trek geeks who um, befriend William Shatner, and he got William Shatner to be in the movie, and he got that actor who became the star of Will and Grace, to be it before the guy got famous. Hmm. And Rob is the most amazing storyteller. He's the most passionate guy about filmmaking. Um, he was friends, he was friends um, uh, with the director who had done a Tom Cruise movie and his friend said, hey, meet me at the Paramount Studios Sunday morning. We're gonna screen the movie. We need a few people in there. Tom might come and we'll watch the movie, right? Hmm. So my friend shows up at Paramount. Um, Rob shows up at Paramount and the, the print isn't there yet. And Tom Cruise is there, and everybody's nervous as Tom. We can't keep Tom waiting. My friend Rob knew so much about Tom Cruise's uh, movies, and he's so outgoing. He talked to Tom Cruise for three hours without Tom getting bored until the print got there. And Tom Cruise loved him. And yeah. Rob really, really wants to be a writer-director and go on, and he's directed some TV. He's edited uh, a, a recent thing that probably you can find in Australia called Tango Shalom. Um, he's a great editor, but he does this show. His name's Rob Burnett, but his show is called Rob Observations. Observations. And yeah. his okay. network is called The Burn Network, right? The Burn Network. Just like you. And he goes on five to six days a week. But I don't know if you know, uh, you know, have you ever heard of this thing on YouTube called Super Chats? I've heard. Have you ever heard of Super Chat? Well, I'll, I'll just explain it. Um, it used to be that you had to get a, like a million views before you'd make like $100 or whatever with your show on YouTube, right? Now they have a thing called Super Chat that if you broadcast live, like we're going live, right? Or we just recording. But the people listening, if they want to ask you a question, they huh. can pay for a Super Chat. $5, $10, or $25. The more money you pay, the longer you get in the text block to type your question. Nice. And Rob has started making real money because he's not counting on all the views. He's talking about the loyal fan base. And now, and although he wants to write and direct, he is so charismatic, just like you, you, that this is like he's a bolt to this. And I have to say, what would be more fun than talking to movies with people that love movies every day of the week almost That's and true. not to worry with the headaches and the dumb idiots and the suits and the dumb notes and the critics and then you didn't get the actor your movie bombs or people hate your movie or whatever you're just there celebrating movies right yeah. and he's doing other things but and so with this podcast you have you already have a following why not do it more on a regular basis but also do the super chat so that people that are fans of you that can support you 
you know, and you can make maybe some more real money and then you don't have to go after those jobs that we were talking about, all those other writing jobs, and maybe that frees you up to get your, your movies going. Yeah, so that, got, can you look into the super chat for me? Because okay. I bought you. you and then well. you could be one of my backers on my movie. That'd because be then you would be the, uh, you know, you would be one of the influencers saying, my friend Michael is doing a crowdfunding thing and he's on the show tonight to talk. And then I could, you know, you'd be one of the people that are supporting it. Mate, that sounds like a plan, and I'm, I'm definitely going to look into that, and I'm definitely going to look into this uh, animation thing because I have a, a, a long-suffering film that, that no one's ever going to make. I think I'm going to just have to make it myself. Sit down. Uh, let's not bore me. Let's talk after this. I'm going to tell you all the places you need to go because I'm, I like to proselytize, but you could do the stuff that I'm doing. You could teach yourself probably in a week to be 95% of the where I'm at right now. Yeah, because I've got a, I've I've got a project that yeah, I, I'm just gonna have to make it myself. So I'm definitely. But you could also be the voice actor on it. You could turn your acting ability into your using your persona, and because you're an actor, you right. can act out some of the parts. That's and fantastic. that would be really satisfying. I've always I've always wanted to be the voice of an animated character, and uh, what what a better character than myself, and what better guest. To have, I've always loved him, and I love to have him back. And uh, he's uh, he's a miracle of nature. He's the best host, uh, best guest you could ever had, because he let he does all the work for you. All the parking. Sorry, if you wanted to hear Kent, I apologize. I'm gonna have to do better. But I just, you know, it comes it comes from I think I was overshadowed by my older brother. So when I get a platform, I'm I don't know how to self edit. I'm, I'm, I'm the same. Whenever I get stuck uh, talking about movies uh, with anyone who's as passionate about them as I am, it's uh, it's a gab fest. But I'm happy to let you roll along, Michael. You're a... Uh, okay. So can we talk later? How, yeah, we'll, I'll email you all this stuff, the links sure. and stuff, okay? No worries. But thank, for, you. Yeah, thank you for being my guest on Cinema. You good.